0: He was a hero to some, a villain to others. And wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hello and welcome to Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke. This is an internet radio program devoted solely to the life and publishing history of the baddest badass bounty hunter ever to roam the Old West, Jonah Woodson Hex. This is episode four, and I am Scott Gardner. Well, I hope you guys brought your hankies with you for this one, because it's going to be a tearjerker, I'm just forewarning you. But first, before we get into this episode's synopsis, let's look at some feedback. First one up is simply addressed episode two. It says, hey there, Scott. He says, okay, this is my first Jonah Hex story, and I have to say I was kind of impressed. After he'd killed a few people and I wasn't sure the direction the story would take, I got a little bored, but it picked up again and overall I enjoyed it. Seems to me this is a man who has suffered grave personal injury or injuries over the course of his life and now lives within a wall. I have trouble not likening him a bit to Wolverine when that character is written more as a person and less as a stereotype, i.e. crusty on the outside but soft on the inside. (laughs) makes him sound like a hostess fruit pie (laughs) anyway he continues he's built a very thick wall around himself that he is most comfortable staying behind armed with plenty of barbed spears to throw at anyone who tries to get close he has no compunction killing people he thinks need killing and he is reluctant to be anything other than a killing machine to other people he seems like a blend of Wolverine, Ben Grimm, and Stephen King's Roland, is it DeShane? I'm going to pronounce it DeShane. I know the character you're talking about from, uh, what is that, the Dark Tower series. All mixed into one hellish character. But these are, of course, first impressions based on one story, and that may change over time. No, you know, I think that's I think that's a pretty good, uh, I don't know about the Ben Grimm part, but uh, a little bit Wolverine, or a little bit Roland, yeah, not, yeah, that works, I think so. He continues, regarding the story itself, I have enjoyed both episodes to date. I don't think any of the apologies at the beginning of the second episode were warranted, except possibly the technical audio, because I did have problems with that myself. I appreciate you saying that, because uh, several other people have told me the same thing as, ah, don't worry about it, you know, it's just those first episode blues or whatever, but uh, at the same rate... Quite a few people did have problems with the audio with that episode, so that's really what I was apologizing about. I apologize. I really should have just gone back and re-recorded the thing, but like I said, I I liked the editing so well and and the scoring with that one that I I just couldn't bring myself to scrap it and start over again. (laughs) He continues, but what I'm saying is your style, your delivery, your intro, it's all good stuff. The southern drawl you have going uh, in the intro is very appropriate to the subject matter. I compare the put-on accent to the digital distortion of Mike's voice in the JSA Tales intro. It's done for a reason, and it works. And feel free to put it on again when you're reading dialogue in the course of the show itself. I'm not sure that your regular narration or commentary or whatever should be done in anything other than the regular Scott Gardner shit-shooting baritone. (laughs) However much accent you feel comfortable with is fun. Also, I didn't feel that the first ep was stilted at all. A certain amount of pre-written scripting is necessary to avoid rambling, and yeah, I am a classic rambler, and you didn't sound like you were reading from a teleprompter. We are always the biggest critics of our own work, so you might have been listening more critically than needed when going back through it. Well, I'm not sure if I sound like I'm telling you what to do with this, all... Just my opinion. The bottom line is the show is working for me, and I'm looking forward to more. This character is entirely new to me, and it looks like it'll be a fun ride. Talk later. And this is from John M. Wilson, the host, or one of the hosts, rather, of the Amazing Spider-Man Classics podcast. And uh, if you guys are not listening to that show, you're doing yourselves a disservice because it is one excellent podcast. So thank you, John. I really appreciate the uh, encouraging feedback. Next up, we got one from all the way across the pond in the UK. This one is entitled simply Jonah. It says, hey, Scott, says, really enjoyed your first Hex podcast, which surprised the hell out of me as I know nothing about Jonah Hex. You know, if there's one common theme to feedback I'm receiving so far, as most people are saying, that this is basically, you know, they're getting in on the ground floor of Jonah with this. And that, you know, wow, that's a great feeling. it it's a great feeling, but it's also uh, kind of nerve wracking for me, too. It's like, God, you know, I hope I make a good impression with this character because, you know, of course, I love the character. I want people, other people, to discover how awesome I think the character is. But for the most part, um, I'm really thrilled with that. I'm really glad that uh, for whatever it is that brought you to the table, whether it's, you know, curiosity about Jonah Hex, whether it's because you enjoy listening to me for, you know, God knows what reason. Whatever. I'm glad you're here. So I'm glad that so many people are, are checking this uh, this show out. And uh, and I hope that you discover a love and passion for Jonah Hex as well. Anyway, he continues, downloaded purely because I like your other podcasts. Oh, cool. This is, any chance you'll be doing a, a recommendation section for newbies like myself? Best wishes. And this is from Andrew Leland. Um i got to be honest, Andrew, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Uh, any chance you'll be doing a recommendation section for newbies like my... I'm, I'm sorry, recommendations for the best Jonah Hex stories? or I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't really understand the question, but get back to me on that. Um, I, I want to address your question, I just don't get it. <laughs> We've got another one. Title. <laughs> I love the title of this one. It says, Mike Bailey must be insane. And this one says, Scott. Just thought I'd take the time to let you know Michael Bailey is nuts. Your intro for the Jonah Hex podcast is fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Next to the Star Trek Monthly Monday theme, this new one is your best. Oh, that, you don't know how good that makes me feel because I don't know if, this is, if I've ever said this before or not, but of the intros that we have for all the shows that I participate in, you know, Two True Freaks, you know, we have four different ones for Two True Freaks. Uh, Tales of the JSA, Back to the Bins and everything. The Star Trek Monthly Monday is, wait a minute, you know, I'm wrong. I was going to say that's the only one that I have created myself other than Jonah Hex. That's wrong. I actually, I did, did create the one for, uh, for Back to the Bins but, uh, yeah, I made the one for Star Trek Monthly Mondays, and I'm very, very proud of that one. I think it just, it just happened to come out really, really awesome. But, of course, that, a lot of that's due to the music. That piece of music is just fantastic. I mean, how can you not like that theme? It's great. But, uh, anyway, I appreciate you saying that. He continues, So far, this is shaping up to be another great show. Having never read much of Hex, see what I mean? There's another one. Having never read much of Hex, imagine my surprise when I started looking for All-Star Western Number 10, only to be shocked at how much this bastard is going for. I think I'll save my money and go on a cruise instead. (laughs) And this one is from Gray Holland. Thank you very much for the uh, feedback. And, you know, I felt really bad after I read this one, only in the sense that I think, I forget which episode it was, episode one or episode two, I mentioned that, oh, yeah, you know, you, you can find uh, All-Star Western number 10 out there, you know, on the cheap and what, you know, I only paid 10 bucks for mine. Well, you know, that was a good number of years ago that I bought mine. It doesn't seem like very long ago, but now that I get to thinking about it, it's it's probably pushing 10 years or so because... The local mall here used to do those flea market type deals, you know, where they'd, you know, they had all this space in the middle of the mall where they'd have people come in and set up booths and stuff. And it would be like for a weekend, they would do the, uh, not exactly a flea market, but like a collectible show. And there was a guy there that had all these comics, and you know he had one of those A-framed wooden standee things that had all his high-priced comics on it. And he just happened to have a copy of All Star Western. And We struck up a conversation. I ended up talking the guy down to a measly ten bucks, and I bought it. And I just—I guess I didn't really think too much about, you know, that that book. I—I I, haven't—I re- don't really keep up with values of comics anymore. I used to be really crazy about that, but I don't know. Somewhere along the line, I just. I don't know. I I read comics because I enjoy them. I don't do it for any sort of speculatory thing or whatever like I used to. Not that I was ever really big into the whole speculation thing anyway. But, I mean, everybody kind of got into that for a while, like in the 90s. It's kind of the reason why the bottom fell out of comics. Not that I feel like I heavily contributed to that or anything. I just kind of rode the wave like everybody else did. But anyway, I had no idea what present-day... What all star western number 10 was going for, so I went on eBay after reading this email, and holy cow, I can't believe the prices that this thing is going for! So, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be misleading about that, but yeah, it doesn't look like it is out there quite so cheap as I had originally thought it was, but still, I still maintain that if you're patient and shrewd about the way that you hunt for comics even on ebay that you can find things on the cheap if you just you know you just keep plugging away at it and the last one we have here is entitled jonah hex podcast comments and it says good job on the podcast i wasn't able to listen to the first episode the intro was fine but the rest sounded garbled i apologize for that perhaps it was the equipment i was using i'll try again later on a different device I had given brief thought to a podcast last year after hearing Tom vs. The Flash, but a man has got to know his limitations. Having never done a podcast, I thought it best for me to stick with blogging. The second episode was good. I haven't finished it yet, but I am looking forward to more of them. A few quick questions Have you thought about doing an enhanced version of the podcast to be able to show some visuals? Oh, uh, no, I hadn't actually. We toyed around with that idea quite some time ago with Two True Freaks. And, yeah, the, the just the time and, and labor involved in something like that is far beyond anything I would uh, be able to, to do at the moment. I wish I could. If I knew more about the whole blogging thing and, you know had, uh, access to something like, um, Photoshop or something to, to take panels out and put up, you know, and really create like a fancy blog to go along with this. I'd love to do that too. But again, it falls into that time thing where I, I, I literally just don't really have, um, the spare moments to do anything like that. I mean... I, I'm literally at this point doing four weekly podcasts, and I just don't know where I'm I'm finding the time for this. So, in order for those shows to continue to come out on time, and and for me to be able to participate in all of them, yeah, I've got kind of, I kind of kind of just keep it straight to podcasts at the moment. I hope that doesn't make me sound lazy or or like I'm being evasive or something. He also asks, "Are you going to be up on iTunes feed?" Um. Yikes. To the best of my knowledge, it should be up there. I I have to admit, I don't use iTunes. I find it uh, daunting. It just never seems to work properly. Maybe it's because my computer's getting a little long in the tooth now. I don't know. But it just doesn't work properly for me, so I don't use it. But to the best of my knowledge, the Two True Freaks feed is up on iTunes, and all of our shows go through the Two True Freaks feed, so it should be up there just by default. And he wraps up by saying at an episode a week you're going to be running this podcast for several years. Well, I I hope so. I mean, my intent is to really go through everything Jonah Hex. Um you know, right from the beginnings where I'm at right now, right on through to where he gained his own series for 92 issues, and then eventually went into Hex which ran 18 issues and then all the ancillary uh you know, the little side journeys with Hex and the minis and things like that right up into his current revival. So, yeah, I intend to cover all that stuff at some point. And he wraps up by saying, and it will be a welcome addition to the super secret enclave of internet Hex fans. (laughs) Well, I want into that enclave. I don't know anything about it, so tell me all about it. I would love to get in on that. And this is signed, Dwayne, the canoe guy, And he provided a link to, um, it just says here, matching dragoons. But if you click on it, it actually takes you to jonahhex.blogspot.com. And it was a really interesting blog. And it looks like Dwayne has been uh, basically doing what I'm doing only in blog format um, with actually going through Jonah Hex, all the series and all of his appearances and things like that. Dwayne, I will be checking that site out. I really look forward to reading it. However, in the interest of uh, not ever being accused of, of stealing things or, or you know borrowing ideas or anything like that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through it. Post each episode that i've I've done as I reread my way back through Hex's history, um, because I really want to check your stuff out, but at the same rate, I don't want it to influence me one way or the other, if you know what I mean. But yeah, I was very excited to uh, to find your site. I hadn't seen that particular uh, hex site before, so thank you for providing that link and thank you for the feedback. I really appreciate it. Dun, 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 Okay, and now for the main feature of the show. I will not be reviewing an issue of All-Star Western this episode, and you can't make me! That's because All-Star Western finished last time around with issue 11. That was it for that particular title. We are going to be looking at... Weird Western Tales, number 12. That's right, All-Star Western becomes Weird Western Tales as of this particular issue. This is the June-July 1972 issue. Original cover price, 25 cents for 52 big pages. Cover on this one is by Joe Kubert or Kubert? It depends on, I guess, where you are in the country is how you pronounce this. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I've always said Kubert, but some people say Kubert. I don't know. Anyway, I have to admit, and I think I've said this before on one of my other show appearances, but not a Joe Kubert fan. I'm sorry, just really not. There's something about his scratchy style that, to me, looks unfinished. I just really don't care for it very much, um, however, this this is a pretty cool cover. Does not feature Jonah Hex, though. It has this old, just ancient-looking... He's uh, I guess he's probably supposed to be dead Indian, sitting in a cave, and at the mouth of the cave... The mouth of the cave, by the way, is very much shaped like the outline of a, of a human skull. And at the cave entrance... We have El Diablo uh, rearing up on his uh, on his black horse. It's a, it's a very dynamic cover. I just don't like the scratchy Kubert style. It, it just looks like it hasn't been inked to me. But uh, but it is a dynamic cover. I do I, I do like the the layout of it. At the top we've got uh, it says DC Weird Western Tales featuring Jonah Hex, El Diablo, Batlash, and Pow Wow Smith and we have the uh, the new Weird Western Tales logo up at the top. It, it, it's a really nice cover design. I do enjoy that. There is no header for the lead feature in this one. It is simply entitled Jonah Hex, Gunfighter. And, not to be nitpicky, but Jonah Hex, he's not really a gunfighter, is he? At least, I don't think so. Maybe during this time, it could be argued that he was a gunfighter. They haven't really yet established in the stories we've covered so far exactly what Jonah is. I mean, he, he becomes a bounty hunter over time, but in a lot of these early issues he's not really on a mission. You know, he's not really uh, actively seeking a bounty. He's just kind of wandering from adventure to adventure, so maybe, maybe in this one he could technically be classed as a gunfighter, but I don't really think of him that way. Credits for this one? Again, very simple with the credits. It simply says story, John Albano, Art, Tony Dizniga, and edited by Joe Orlando. We open in a saloon where the bartender is nervously presenting Jonah Hex with his breakfast. A steak, medium rare, just like he ordered. When suddenly we hear, Eat it in good health, Mr. Ugly. Cause a man who's about to die deserves a good last meal. And we see these two tops have walked in. They're both brandishing firearms. And the other guy says, Let's blast him quick, Jed. You know how tricky they say he is. And the words haven't even cleared his throat before both men are blown away. On a beautiful title splash, Hex guns them down, all Han Solo shooting under the table style. I love it. The title of this story is Promise to a Princess. Soon, a Mr. Craig, who looks a hell of a lot like Stan Lee, wearing Abraham Lincoln's clothes and stovepipe hat. He's also got a holster and a piece. He's riling up the townsfolks about that gun crazy Jonah Hex, and he says he ain't in town longer than an hour, and he's already started murdering people. So, having incited the locals, Craig storms the saloon where they're horrified to find Hex calmly eating his dinner. And I got to thinking, dinner—you know, just like two pages ago it was a uh, breakfast. But anyway, I, mean, I don't know—is that why this is a weird Western tale? <laughs> And one of the uh, town's folks is all horrified and says, And him, just after killing two men! But just as Craig calls for his men to get him, a cry of, Look over there! catches everyone's attention. Joe Higgins, on horseback and sporting an arrow between his shoulder blades, rides up to the men. Doc Harrow is called, but pronounces it too late for this fella. They should have called the Undertaker instead. And an old-timer says, Those blasted red savages are starting up again. And another fellow says, We'll take care of them rotten engines just as soon as we finish with the gunfighter.
1: <laughs>
0: and the bartender comes out to tell him, Jonah Hex just rode out of town, Mr. Craig. And Craig, he's kind of pissed off. He says, what? You let that venomous barbarian escape? And the old-timer says, why didn't you call us out? And the bartender, he's, uh, he's all indignant. He says, I'm a bartender, gentleman, not the town crier. Besides, he says, take a look at the two coyotes he gunned down. They're both wanted outlaws, and I saw them draw on Jonah first. And the old timer says, Heh, that Jonah only kills for money. I'll bet he was paid to track down them two fellas. And Craig says, Hmm, could be. The important thing is we're rid of him. Now we can concentrate on doing something about those filthy savages. The next day, far from town, Jonah bathes in a mountain stream when, much to his surprise and chagrin, a tiny little Indian girl named Little Fawn gets the drop on him. Holding Hex's own gun on him, she tosses him his pants and orders him out of the water. Jonah advances on the girl menacingly and with the intent to retrieve his weapon, but she calls on her faithful pet, Iron Jaws, a timber wolf, and the beast comes to stand by her side, snarling at Hex the whole time. Little Fawn reports that she is the daughter of the Great Pawnee Chief, She's been out picking berries, and she got lost. So still holding Jonah at gunpoint, she orders him to lead her back to her people. But that means crossing a rickety bridge straight out of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Hex balks at the idea, but Little Fawn is serious about shooting him if he doesn't obey. So they set out across the gap, Hex in the lead, followed by Iron Jaws, and finally Little Fawn astride Hex's horse. And, just as he feared, the bridge comes unglued, spilling man, child, and animals into the river far below. Startled by the sudden collapse, Little Fawn discharges the gun, which clips Hex in the shoulder, just missing taking his head off. Now, I want to step out of the story for just a moment to point out that, uh, you know, I'm sorely tempted at this point to start keeping a tally, much like our death count at the end of the show. Of the number of times over the span of his various series and appearances and everything that we're going to witness Hex either take a round, take a beating, or just simply, you know, conked on the head, you know, unconscious or something, or in an attempt to knock him unconscious. But I don't want to drag the show down with a bunch of statistics. I just wanted to point out that uh, this is the first time we see Hex take a round, and he'll take a whole bunch more rounds over the course of this podcast I'm betting that if we did keep track, it would be a very impressive number though. So back to the story. Gasping and sputtering, Little Fawn tells Jonah that she didn't mean to shoot him and passes out. Hex manages to get both of them ashore and gathering Little Fawn up, calls to his horse. With Iron Jaws at their side, the pair ride to Little Fawn's people just as Hex also passes out. Days later, Hex awakens, cared for and bandaged in a hut inside the Indian camp. Little Fawn tells him that he's been out for many sons and beckons him to dress and follow her. Presently, Hex meets Little Fawn's grateful father, Chief of the Tribe, who says he'll never forget that Jonah has saved his daughter, but also tells him it's best that he leave quickly. To which Hex says, Guess I'm welcome here as much as anywhere else, eh? Alright, Chief. Hey, what's that? And Hex is pointing and we see this field full of blanketed, covered bodies. And Hex says, are those bodies under the blankets? And the chief says, bodies of Pawnee warriors who die not in battle, but from trickery of evil pale face named Craig. He goes on to say that half of the Pawnee tribe from four villages have gotten sick and died from the white man's disease called smallpox. The chief believes that the blankets Mr. Craig traded from his wagon were sprinkled with smallpox to cause plague among the Pawnee. And then he points out the fact that up on the ridge, Craig has come with what he calls many pale-faced warriors, and they've encircled the village. And Hex says,
1: Why that hypocritical
0: buzzard, all the time preaching about ridden the west of uncivilized killers... And now he's up there just sitting and waiting with his band of stinking ghouls. And the chief says, Paleface wait for Pawnee tribe to grow weak and few from disease, then attack shall begin. And as they talk, suddenly Little Fawn topples over. The chief rushes to her and they realize that she's been struck with the disease as well. Hex is really upset by this. And the chief tells him that he must leave now, he must depart, lest he fall prey to the sickness as well. And Heckness says, I'm so ornery that any germ that bites me dies, chief. Besides, I've had a cowpox vaccination. And with that, Hex tells the chief that he's going to go and he's going to bring back medicine for the chief and his people and Little Fawn. And the chief's concerned that, uh, you know, won't Craig's warriors stop you? And Hex says... Reckon they'll try, only I don't think any of those farmers up there ever had their baptism of fire, and I got a hunch they ain't going to be particularly partial to it. So, up on the ridge, Craig's men at first mistake the approaching bounty hunter for what they call an engine. But an old timer with a spyglass suddenly recognizes him as Jonah Hex, and they consider calling out for more men. But it's too late. Hex rides right into them, guns blazing, and several men fall. Hex breaks through the encirclement and makes it to the doctor's house. But the doctor is out. And so the wild goose chase is on. Hex frantically rides from town to town, house to house, galloping his exhausted horse almost beyond its endurance before finally tracking down the dock and securing the much-needed medicine. Then it's right back into action, running the animal nearly to death to get back to the Indian village and Little Fawn. And so next day, As he approaches the encampment, Jonah's stomach slowly sickens as he surveys the gruesome scene laid out for us on a hauntingly beautiful splash page. The Indians, every man, woman, child, and animal, slaughtered and left to rot in the sun. Jonah abandons his horse and frantically searches through the massive bodies until he comes across Little Fawn. They didn't even spare you. Jonah says as he picks up and cradles the girl. He promises the girl he'll take care of Iron Jaws for and, a short time later, as he places the final stones on Little Fawn's makeshift grave, Jonah Hex makes the princess another promise. Raising up, shaking his fist at the sky, Hex swears that the man responsible for this will pay. By God, he'll pay! So sometime later, with a rage bordering on madness festering inside his tortured brain, Jonah reaches town. He sees an old man leaning against a post. He says, You there, skunk! I'll give you just two seconds to tell me where I can find that butcher Craig. And the old man says, White brick house, down the street, Mr. Hex. Huh, how come you ain't got it? Everybody else in town. And Hex says, Got smallpox? The man says, "That's right. The doctor ain't here. If somebody could get word to him." And Hex says, "Get word to him yourself, skunk. I got business with your great leader in humanitarian, Mister Craig." So presently, Hex finds Craig, and he's lying on his deathbed. Hex walks in and says, "You too, huh, Craig? Well, reckon I just can't do it. Reckon I'm going to have to give you this medicine that'll make you well after all." And Craig says, "Mister Hex, anything? I'll do anything. Please, don't let me die." Guess I'm not as uncivilized as I thought I was. You're a gentleman, merciful and forgiving. And as Craig brings the bottle up to his lips, suddenly, Hex shoots and shatters the bottle in his hand, and we see Craig looking all horrified. And on the final panel, it says minutes later, Hex is astride his horse and he says, Let's go, boy. You too, Iron Jaws. Our business is finished in this town. And that's the end and this is a powerful story. I mean, what a way to kick off Weird Western Tales. You know, Weird Western Tales is what I really think of as Jonah's defining series. You know, a lot's going to happen in the course of Jonah Hex's own title when he eventually gets it, you know, when he graduates out of Weird Western, but this is where so much of the groundwork is laid of who Hex really is, you know, where we'll come to to learn of his origins and the origins of the men who will serve as his major nemeses, I guess you could say. But this type of story right here, I think, even more than any sort of origin story, really lays the groundwork of who Hex is as a human being. But wow, to think, for 1972, this is really powerful stuff. I mean, an entire village is slaughtered, and a little girl, just an innocent little girl dies in this story it's really impactful I think at least it makes an impression on me I I really like this story it's actually one of my very favorite Jonah Hex stories just because when you get to page 13 and that splash where Jonah is kind of far in the background and the entire village is dead in the foreground it's a real punch in the gut it's very powerful this story has weight to it And this is the sort of story that I think sets Jonah Hex apart from other Western things that were going on at the same time or prior to this. You know, this is no two-gun kid story or kid cult outlaw or, or the rawhide kid. I mean, those are all fine Western tales, but they pretty much have to do with bandits and things like that. This is a totally different kind of story, much edgier. And I hate to keep using the word powerful, but it is powerful couple other things of note in this one. Jonah Hex swears in this one. Now, it's just comic book swearing, you know, where it's just a bunch of symbols, you know, a star and a pound sign and some exclamation points and things like that. But it's worth noting that uh, Jonah Hex does very clearly cuss in this story. Also, Hex's horse finally gets a name in this story. His horse is named General. Hex calls to the horse after the part where they've uh, fallen into the river and he needs the horse to come to him so that he can take a Little Fawn to the village. The doc that gives Hex the medicine looks a hell of a lot like uh, Ulysses S. Grant and got a kick out of that too. And again, this is one of those stories that points out the fact that uh Hex can abide a lot of things, but he doesn't abide the abuse of children or animals. I like that about him. Diesenigas are, as always, fantastic in this issue. And this is the first one so far where we get a lot more than just one panel of Hex's scarred side of his face. Right from the get-go, right on the very first page, when Hex wipes his face as he's eating, and the two guys walk into the saloon to kind of call him out, right away in that shot, his scarred side is revealed. And several times throughout the rest of the story, we see it as well. So clearly with this issue... Zuniga was letting Hex's scarred side play a lot more than he had before this. Again, great story. I really, really like this one a lot. One of my absolute favorites. Elsewhere in this issue, very next story is El Diablo, and this is worth tracking down, folks, because it is written by Kerry Bates, penciled by Neil Adams, inked by Bernie Wrightson. It's beautiful to look at it's a short little story it's kind of a short simple little story but it's really really solid stuff i mean neil adams inked by bernie Wrightson. you can't go wrong it's really nice we also get part three of the ongoing uh, batlash story in this by sergio Aragones, uh denny o'neill and nick Cardi. and powwow smith indian lawman by carmine infantino Not sure about the writer on this one, but last time around it was Gardner Fox, so it's more than likely Gardner Fox again. All in all, some really good stuff in this issue. Most definitely worth it for the Jonah Hex story and that awesome, beautiful El Diablo story. Ads this time around, nothing really to speak of. I mean, there's a couple kind of wonky ones. They're kind of fun just for the uh, uniqueness. There's one here for Captain Aurora. It's uh, all these Aurora games. And this guy's sporting an outfit that looks like a cross between Count Nefarious and Evil Knievels. It's actually kind of cool looking. He's got a funny looking head, though. His head looks like Plastic Man with white hair. How's that for a funky visual? That's really the only one of interest in this one, I think. I mean, there's other ads in here, but they're all eh, pretty boring fare, to be honest with you. The only other one I really like is at the conclusion of the last story, the Pow wow Smith story. We get a house ad that says, be with us in our next rip-roaring issue of Weird Western Tales featuring Jonah Hex and El Diablo. I like that one. rip roarin The Jonah Hex portion of this issue, Promise to a Princess, has been reprinted in Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales Number 2. And in the Showcase Presents Jonah Hex Volume 1 Trade Paperback from 2006, The El Diablo Story, The one that I was raving about, entitled A Time to Die, was reprinted in DC Universe Illustrated by Neil Adams hardcover in 2008. So that brings us to the end of this episode and our death count. This issue, we have two men shot in the beginning of the story. Now the part where Jonah breaks the line, the encirclement of the camp. He kills three or four people. It's not really clear. Now, he fires four shots, so I'm going to call it four dead. But it's a little unclear in the art exactly how many people he really does kill in that part. I'm calling it four. And then, of course, he allows Mr. Craig to die at the end of the story. Now, arguably, he he lets the whole damn town die, but I have no idea what the population of the town is. We're just going to count Mr. Craig. He's the one that Hex actually came to do away with, so we're just counting him. So that's two shot at the beginning, four shot later on, one allowed to die. We're going to call that seven. So death count for this issue seven death count overall tally so far we've got two already dead 15 shot one stabbed one allowed to die that's 19 men killed by jonah hex join me next time for weird western tales number 13 for the jonah hex podcast i'm scott gardner thank you very very much for listening Feedback for this program can be sent to Jonah Hex Podcast at gmail.com. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast, is produced in association with the Two True Freaks Podcast, which you may find at www.tutruefreaks.libsen.com and is a registered trademark of Demonzacor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved.
1: September 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war,
0: the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces
1: of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents... The The All-Star Squadron!
0: Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday, at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Cook. Don't you read history?
1: What did you say your name was?
0: Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Did we violate the treaty, Captain? Red
1: alert! All hands, battle station! What are you scratching at? Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle stations.
0: Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at com.
1: Hi, my name is Paul Spataro. Back in 2004, my family lost my older brother Michael to pancreatic cancer. Before Michael was diagnosed with this disease, I really didn't know too much about it. But the truth of the matter is, it's a devastating disease, and in general, once somebody is diagnosed with it, it's too late to actually help them. I've learned that pancreatic cancer is the nation's fourth leading cause of cancer death and that the survival rate for the disease has not improved in 25 years. I also learned about the Lustgarden Foundation. That's a foundation that's named after a man named Mark Lustgarden. Mr. Lustgarden was a high-ranking executive in the company of Cablevision and when he was diagnosed with the disease. Despite the fact that he was a wealthy man, there was nothing that could be done, and unfortunately, he passed away from the disease as well. Moved by that loss, Cablevision has started a foundation in his honor, and they've generously underwritten all expenses of that foundation so that any fundraising efforts can be used strictly towards research of pancreatic cancer. I learned of the Lust Garden Foundation shortly after my brother passed away, And I started that year walking in its Long Island Fundraiser Walk. And I've walked every year since. This year the walk is going to be on July 25th. I will be walking along with my wife, my son, my daughter, my mother, my sister, and other family members. We walk as Team Spitaro in an effort to raise funds, raise awareness, and to honor my brother. I hope you would consider donating to this worthwhile cause. There will be a link to our team page on this podcast's homepage. Please consider clicking on that link and donating. And keep in mind, no amount is too small. There will be people who donated very, very generously, but don't be swayed by that. Any amount will help and brings us that much closer to a cure. Nobody should have to suffer the way my brother did. And I hope that one day, through the efforts of the Lustgarden Foundation, all such suffering can be ended. I thank you for your consideration.